Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. As Sarah said uh, in that little introduction, we are, for the next few weeks, going to be looking at the book of Ezra. We've done something called Emerge over the last, um, what, six weeks, something like that. And um, looking at the book of Ezra, we felt as leaders that this has got something to say for us. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I did something I hadn't done in a very, very long time, and that was to go on a train up to London with uh, some of the other leaders in our sphere, in the Forge sphere. And you know what? It was so exciting. And yet also a little bit sort of, I was a little bit nervous about going up on the train. Um, got the ticket, went, up, went got the coffee, you know, as you do. And uh, quarter past eight train thinking, oh, am I going to get a seat? But you know what? There were plenty of seats. And uh, I just, just love looking out the window as the train's going along. As you get closer to London, you start seeing some of the sights. You see the Shard. And then you see as you come into Waterloo, it's usually quite slow there, isn't it? You begin to see on the left-hand side as uh, the MI5 building. And then you see um, the Houses of Parliament. And then you see the London Eye, which actually wasn't open. And then we came into London and you got that smell of the city and um, the noise of the city. But to be honest, the hubbub was definitely muted, definitely not as many people around as there would normally be. Uh, and then I did something which I love to do is get on a Boris bike. And I cycled across uh, from Waterloo over to sort of the Portobello Road area, Notting Hill area uh, for the meeting. It was a great bike ride because you get to go over Westminster Bridge and then you go round... Um, um, by Buckingham Palace, you go down the Mall and then up Constitution Hill and then through Hyde Park. And you just see some great sights. And so it was just great. Um, and it's kind of, to me, it was a little bit like a picture of where we are, you know, as a church, beginning to do things again. And it's funny, isn't it? When you haven't been somewhere for a long time, you just want to check that everything's still there. Yep, yep, the uh, Royal Albert Hall, still there. Uh, London Night, yep, still there. There, things are still there, but it was weird being out in there for the first time in a long time. So, the book of Ezra. This book is named after Ezra. And did you know the name Ezra actually means help? Um, Ezra doesn't feature in the book at the start, but he comes in a little bit later on, about halfway through. Um, the book is the account of the Jewish exile's return from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. And the temple was so important. If you know um, your Old Testament Bible at all, the temple was God's address here on the earth. So to rebuild the temple, they were rebuilding their worship, their identity as God's people. Uh, for those who like to know these things, it follows directly on from 2 Chronicles. In fact, the very last few verses of 2 Chronicles is exactly the same in Ezra. So there was a real join there. That's the continuation of the narrative. Um, in the Hebrew uh, manuscripts, often it was combined with the book of Nehemiah. So it was read as one. So you would have gone from 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, into Ezra and into Nehemiah. So let's have a little look at a map here. Can you see that map there of kind of, uh, you've got Israel there and... Um, other parts of that area, which does, you can see Jerusalem and hopefully you can see Babylon. So in around 606 BC, that was when the first deportation, the first group of people were taken from Jerusalem. And that's what happened. They would, when a, a nation defeated another nation, they would often take some of the people out as captives 
uh, from their city and they were taken into the other city. So that, that's what happened in 606 BC. That's when it started. And then around about 586 BC, there was a second uh, deportation of more people being taken over to Babylon. Uh, in the Bible, it says around about 586 BC, that was the fall of Jerusalem. So that's when they were wiped out completely. The city would have been left in ruins. Everything was burned. So in this period of time, we would have got the book of Daniel and the book of Esther. So important to read those in parallel as we then come into the story of Esther. Sorry, in the story of Ezra, not Esther. A little bit confused there. Around about 536 BC was when the first group of people returned. Fascinating, if you read in Ezra, how God stirred the heart of a pagan king and wanted them to return. Now, for those of you who've got a keen eye for detail, you will see that it was 70 years from the first point of exile, 606 BC, through to 536 BC, because even though we're counting backwards there, that's 70 years. Why is that important? That is important because if you look in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 29, verse 10, he prophesied this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So it's really important to see that it happened and more importantly, that God fulfilled his prophetic word. God did what he said he was going to do. That's important for us. Why? Because God does fulfill his promises. 70 years from between the prophetic word and its fulfillment, but God did it. There might be some of you watching this morning that have got some prophetic words. Sarah's dusted off some prophetic words. Maybe they haven't all come, been fulfilled yet. But here's the thing. God will fulfill his prophetic word. It might not be in our timing, but it will certainly be in his timing. So the book of Ezra shows us the faithfulness of God. He kept his promise to restore his people to their land. So in this introduction, I'm just going to look at three areas. just want to highlight three areas for us together this morning. The first one is return. Second one is rebuild. Third one is restore. So let's look at the first one, return. Well, if you're going to return back to somewhere, first of all, you have to be away. You have to go somewhere to, to be able to return. The Jewish exiles had been captured. They were living in Babylon in this foreign country. They'd been there for 70 years, as we just saw. Life carried on. It was very different living in a foreign land. There would have been births and marriages and deaths. So what's the parallel for us? Well, the last year, we have been in a form of exile. Not that we've been in a foreign country. <laughs> our exile's been at home, hasn't it? We've been limited, literally, to the four walls of our house. Life has kind of carried on, but yes, it's been very different and very strange. Uh, we have seen some people give birth, lockdown babies. I'm not aware of uh, people actually... Well, no, I do know some people have got married um, during lockdown. Um, and unfortunately, we've also seen some deaths as well. So life for us has been a form of exile, but we're now just at the beginning of things beginning to change. For the Jews, 
This did mean a physical move. They came out of Babylon and returned to Jerusalem. They were relocated. For some of them, they must have been so excited to be going back to Jerusalem. For others, they would have been a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive. For some, it would have been brand new for them. They, they, they'd never been there. Maybe if they'd been born and, and grown up in Babylon, going to Jerusalem, going back home, well, that, that probably wasn't their home. And again, the parallels for us are quite similar, aren't they? You know, as a church, hopefully by the end of this month, we will be returning uh, to this here building together in, for our Sunday morning gatherings. There's some people who can't wait to be back here worshipping. Sarah and I were just talking um, whilst we were uh, sort of worshipping along with Chris, thinking, oh yeah, we'll be back in the building. We won't, we won't be able to, it won't be on a screen, it'll be here we are. And that's what was so lovely uh, when we did the upper room, just to be in the same space together. When the Jews returned, they didn't all return at once. There was a kind of a staggered return, firstly with Zerubbabel, and then Ezra uh, came on a little bit later. And again, that's what we're going to be doing. We won't all be back in the room at the same time, will we? There'll be kind of a staggered return back to the building. I wonder how you are feeling about returning. Are you one of those people that just can't wait? Or are you a little bit more nervous, a little bit more anxious about it? Um, certainly Sunday night doing the upper room was an experiment for us. Would people come? Yes, they did. How was it? It was fine. Yes, we had to go along with all the um, kind of current guidance, and, and we did. But just being in the same space together, worshipping God together, was fantastic. So, return is the first thing, first sort of major thing that we'll be looking at in Ezra. The second thing is rebuilding. What did they rebuild? Well, first and foremost, they rebuilt the altar. They built the altar before they started on the temple. So what is an altar? Um, in the Old Testament particularly, we, we do come across the word altar over 400 times. It was a structure. It was a, a place where people would bring offerings and sacrifices. It represents a place of consecration to God. They were often built to commemorate a significant encounter with God. They were places of worship. They signified an event between that person and the Lord. Um, and if you read through the Old Testament, you often see people, they built an altar, they built an altar. And, I, and I've never been to Israel, but I wonder if back then in, in, in um, Old Testament times, you, you'd see all these piles of stones. There were altars that people had built and constructed. Um, many, many examples of them. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Gideon and David. Well, here's a little quote I came across. An altar represents a genuine desire of the person to give themselves wholly to the Lord because of his work in them to memorialise that work. I just feel and maybe sense that there are some of us that need to have a fresh altar moment with God. As we are in this transition, as we are emerging from lockdown maybe you need to have an altar moment with God Reuben encouraged us this morning to look at God's creation to get out into his world let me encourage you get out get before God and kind of commit to him again have that altar experience as we re-engage together and individually with many things that God wants us to do as a church. Now, not only did they do the altar thing first, Ezra chapter 3 verse 1 
says that um, in the seventh month they came and the Israelites settled in their towns. The people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. I love that thing. It says they came together as one. There was a sense of unity. There was a sense of togetherness as God's people. And again, I think that's so important for us. As we come back together, yes, in a safe way, we need a fresh sense of that unity, that togetherness, that we are a community of God's people. And yes, we are going to have to rebuild that. But let me encourage you, get your heart right before God. Remember, we are not in this alone. That's why we love the comments on, on a Sunday, because it means we are connecting with one another. So, altar, togetherness, unity, and uh, rebuilding. The third uh, area, the final area I want to look at is restoring. So what were they restoring? They were setting about rebuilding the temple to restore God's ways. As I said before, you know, the temple was a huge structure, which not only did the Jews know it was an important place, but other nations around them knew that that was God's address. This was where Yahweh was kind of believed to be seated. Now we know, of course, he was bigger than that, but that was the focal point. And chapter 4 in Ezra tells us that their enemies, and they had enemies, weren't too happy about them rebuilding the temple. So they faced some opposition. For six years, the book of Ezra tells us that work stopped. It stopped until, again, God used another pagan king. He stirred his heart and the work started again. Again, we'll get into that into some more detail as we go through the book. So what can we take away from that? First thing is this. God's plans did succeed. God said he was going to do it and it happened. Again, some of you need to hear that this morning. There's some good news here. You might have some plans that have been delayed. You might have some plans that you think are over, but if they are God's plans, they will succeed. I guess the other thing is that we are going to face opposition. Um, it's right there throughout the pages of scripture, isn't it? God's uh, plans do succeed, but there's often opposition that comes against what God wants to do. You can see that throughout church history. It seems you know, in, this, in, in the biblical account, Satan is always opposed to God. But remember, the end of the Bible, Jesus wins. Now remember also that the battles that we face aren't against people, but the Bible tells us they are not against flesh and blood, but they're in the spiritual realm. So we have to fight them in the spiritual realms. But the church has always faced some kind of opposition. Maybe you know some stories in your own life where you faced opposition. You know, a few years ago when my, when my uh, back was bowed and I had my slip disc, was that opposition? Well, there are some days I thought, you know what, it really isn't, because it was like it was stopping me from moving ahead in the things of God. Maybe you've got a story how you have faced some opposition. It kind of seems to be there in the territory for us that we are going to be battling something. But as we come out of lockdown, I've been thinking, well, what kind of oppositions do you think we might be facing, be it together or indeed as a church community? And do you know what? I think one of the biggest things that we are going to struggle with is, is what's going on inside, like it, internal battles, you know, that 
For example, you know, we've got so used to doing life like this, you know, for 14, 15 months now, we haven't been able to meet. Um, we've adjusted to this new normal. Just a few weeks ago, um, Marianne and I went down to see our daughter. For those who don't know, she's got a job at Butlins down in Minehead, and we needed to take some bits and bobs uh, down to her. And so it was lovely to go and see her. But you know what? We hadn't driven that far. I hadn't driven that far probably well, for months and months and months. And driving there was exciting to go and see Abby, but it was really quite tiring. And it was quite strange to be in a car for such a long period of time. And that's the furthest we'd been in months and months and months. So we've been used to, to doing things more local. It's like our worlds have kind of shrunk over these last uh, year, 14 months. The other thing is we've just been living with this constant sense of uncertainty. And just remember back to the government announcements over this is going to happen. No, this is not going to happen. Do you remember Christmas when it was going to be you can see everybody over Christmas? Oh, no, you can't see people at Christmas. And living with that constant sense of uncertainty, you know, it's actually really quite tiring. Constant sense of change as well. Um, some people love and embrace change, but we've lived with it. And I think living with it is actually quite hard all the time. So tied in with that, a sense of worry, anxiety about family, about friends, about work, about life. Of course, we, we do need to be cautious as we think about returning. But returning, we are going to be doing that. So we have to put our absolute trust into God. And we have to seek to remember proactively the call that God has on our lives, both personally and as a church together. So the final thing I just want to say in wrapping this up is how do we restore God's ways? There are four things that I've seen just in a quick overview of Ezra that can really help us as we are looking to restore some things. The first one is bold faith. Uh, in Ezra uh, chapter 3 verse 3 it says despite their fear of the peoples around them they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. I love that. They were saying there was fear around. I love the honesty of the Bible. They were fearing what was going on around them, those who didn't uh, like them, those who were going to uh, oppose them, and yet they did it. So it took faith for them to do what God wants them to do, and they did it. So the first thing we need, church, is to have some bold faith to step out. We might be fearful, but let's step out in obedience. The second thing is prophetic encouragement. Again, Sarah's already touched on that this morning. So thank you for that, Sarah, about stirring up those gifts of being prophetic. Um, Haggai and Zechariah are two prophets um, that were used around this time. So in the timeline of when, when Ezra takes place, Reread the book of Haggai and Zechariah because they were encouraging God's people to do what God wanted them to do. So I want to encourage you, as Sarah's already done it, you must be prophetic, Sarah. Prophetic people, we need to hear the voice of God because that encourages us to move forward into the purposes of God. Let me encourage you to stir up those gifts in you again. We need to have bold faith and prophetic encouragements. The third area is prayer and fasting. Uh, chapter 8, verse 21. There, by the Edhava Canal, I, Ezra, proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God. 
and asking for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So that becomes a bit later on in the book when Ezra was returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. A sense of praying, calling on God and fasting. Maybe for some of you in this season, it's time to get before God, building those altars, praying and fasting for the will of God in your life. Maybe that's something you just haven't done over these last 12, 14 months. But that helps us to restore God's ways. Fasting is one of those strange things. When we deny ourselves something, be it food or TV or internet, it sharpens our mind to focus on God. And when we focus on God, that's the time when we hear God. When we, when we seek him, then we will find him. So that's the third area. Fourth and final area is confession and repentance. Um, the last couple of chapters in Ezra, uh, Ezra sees what's going on with God's people and they had neglected some of God's ways. They've been intermarrying. And Ezra, being such a great leader, calls on God on their behalf. He confesses their sins and the, the people then confess their sins and they repent. Maybe for some of us this morning, there's a sense of we just need to get right with God. Maybe you're watching this and you're, you just feel that I'm not in the right place. I want to be with God. OK, that's fine. Acknowledge it. Confess the wrongdoings. Repent, which means turning around and get right with God. So there's four things which I think can help us in restoring God's ways. So. I think the book of Ezra is going to be fantastic for us. I think there's lots of things that we can see in this book which really parallel on our journey where we are at. As we return, we rebuild and we restore what God wants for us together.